0: 13th chapter. We're beginning a new series today, and this series is uh, very uh, special to me because it's the series that will lead us up to the week, that what we call Holy Week, the week that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our salvation and uh, through Easter. So we're going to be look, again looking at the life of Jesus and some of the final events that took place in the life of Jesus as we go on this journey together. Uh, with Jesus. And the passage of Scripture that I've chosen today, I, I've chosen it because I think it sort of is the shot from the bow that marks the beginning of the end. And and, uh, and I've called it, There's a Fox in the Hen House. There's a fox in the hen house. Are you I'm familiar with that expression, There's a Fox in the Hen House? And you'll see from this passage that both a fox and a hen are referenced in this passage and that there is a fox in the hen house. And so um, if we begin reading at verse 31, I know you've stood for a long time, but just in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you wouldn't mind standing one more time. It says that at that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to Him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that for this series and this message, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to walk with you uh, through this final journey, Lord, of your life. We thank you, God, for all that you have done. And we thank you for what you're doing for us right now uh, in our midst and in our church. We pray for all those that have special needs today, Lord, those that are sick, those that need comfort, those who are grieving today. We ask in the name of Jesus that your presence, Lord, would be here in such a rich and special way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So in the context of our passage, some Pharisees come to Jesus. Now, we're not used to the Pharisees helping Jesus out, are we? But we find that there's some Pharisees that come to Jesus, and they warn him, saying that Herod uh, is out to kill you. When we come to these passages of Scripture that have to do with the end of Jesus' life, I know that all of Scripture is holy, and it's all God's holy word, but I have the sense that as we start moving toward the cross, that it just feels like it gets holier. It just, I, I feel a preciousness about these passages of Scripture that have to do with the cost uh, that Jesus paid for our salvation. And I'm really looking forward to spending my first Easter season with all of you. And as I prayed about what to share with you this, this season, I was drawn to this Luke chapter 13 passage. I, I believe, Larry, that your small group is right about here in your group study. Did you do 13 this week? Or I'm doing 13 this week. Great. Well, you don't need to come Wednesday because we're doing it right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm leading Larry's group this, this uh, Wednesday while he's out of town. So here we have these friendly Pharisees that come to Jesus. You know, it's easy to stereotype people and say, Ah, he's a Pharisee, whatever, and just write them off. But the truth is, not all Pharisees were hostile to Jesus. Uh, While Jesus and many of the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye, we find in Luke and Acts that Pharisees were often in the company of Jesus and not always in an antagonistic way. Jesus is often invited to the home of a Pharisee for dinner. Uh, when the Jewish Sanhedrin wanted to kill the apostles, a well-known Pharisee's named Gamaliel counsels them to be careful how they treat these men. If the undertaking of the apostles is of human origin, Gamaliel says, it will fail. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to overthrow them. So we find that Gamaliel was a friendly Pharisee. Of course, we know that Paul himself was a Pharisee. In fact, in his defense before the Sanhedrin, he uses the present tense and says, I am a Pharisee. So Pharisees were not always in opposition to the work of Jesus, and so these friendly Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Herod wants to kill you. Now, when when they say Herod wants to kill you, this is no idle threat because Herod is very capable of doing just that. In fact, this is the same Herod who has been the one to put his cousin John the Baptist's head on a platter. There were actually three Herods at Jesus' time. Before Jesus' time, there was Herod the Great, and Herod the Great was such a powerful, powerful ruler uh, in Israel. If you go to Israel today, you can see Herod the Great stuff everywhere. He was a great builder. I got to go to Israel last year, and we saw Herod the Great's mansion along the sea—the the the remnants of it, where he literally had uh, from the from the uh, from the sea water come in an inlet and fill an in-ground pool that went in his house. He had, he had an in-ground pool in his house. This was a, uh, and he had, still they had the Colosseum where they had chariot races that Herod had built on top of Masada. Some of you may have heard of Masada. Harriet, uh, Harriet. Herod had uh, had a mansion up there and he was just a great builder. And he was so great that really his kids couldn't keep up with him. So he, so he divided his the land into three of his sons, Herod Philip, Herod Archelaus, and Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the Herod that we're talking about here. And Herod Antipas was the Tetrarch or like the governor of Galilee. Well, if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, most of his ministry took place in Galilee. So Herod Antipas was the particular Herod that he had to deal with. Jesus knew that there was a fox in the hen house. He said, you go tell that fox. Foxes are a cunning and crafty animal. In, in the Bible, what we think of foxes today is probably not the foxes they were referring to. Jackals. Uh, the, the same word translated foxes are jackals. Foxes and jackals look alike, but they're a little bit different. Jackals will, will um, hunt in packs at night. They like to come out and hunt. By the cover of night, and they stay in like foxholes during the day and uh and and stay in hiding and they like to they they like to sneak up uh, on you and so he ca- it's, it's not a flattering thing when he calls him a fox. The Bible says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. How many know that it's the little foxes that 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 threaten the work of god it's those little irritating foxes that hide out and come out at opportune times and and they're not the big things always but they're the they're the nuisances and and sometimes when he speaks of Herod being a fox he's talking about him being evil but in the case of the pharisees these are well-meaning people who are informing Jesus of the Pharisees' intent. In other words, these are well-meaning people that are trying to evoke fear in Jesus. Fear enough in Him that He would get out of there and not do it. I just want to say that this morning because I believe that there are well-meaning people that can knock us off track. That, 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 that sometimes we find this in the church, that there are well-meaning people that will... Um, that will mean well, but they're always evoking fear. Oh, pastor, you can't do that because you might offend so-and-so if you do that. Don't do that, pastor. Uh, we're going to warn you about this situation. You might not want to go there. You might not want to do this. These are well-meaning people that are that are trying to warn us of foxes. Foxes are those that intentionally try to destroy the vision, but there's also well-meaning people. I just want to the reason I'm making kind of a big deal out of that is because I, re- I really believe that the reason that most churches don't grow is because of the little foxes and the, little well- and the well-meaning people that are afraid of foxes. I don't think you heard that. I think maybe the time change hasn't set in yet. I think the reason that many churches don't grow is because, yes, there are foxes out there, but there are also well-meaning people. How many know that I'm telling the truth this morning? that there are well-meaning people who are in the business of evoking fear. They're fear-mongers. Oh, we can't do that. We've never done it that way before. What might ha- You're always thinking of the, the worst possible thing. You know, if you hang around here, Jesus, Herod's going to get you. My daughter Natalie, who's here today, had the opportunity to attend a church of 12,000 members in Springfield, Missouri large church called James River Assembly of God. And I had the opportunity to have a one-on-one with her pastor one time. And I was talking to him about our church in Illinois and some little foxes that we were dealing with at the time. And I was and I was actually dealing with the issue of Facebook. Facebook. Because there were people that were using Facebook in an unhealthy way. And this pastor of 12,000 members said, "Let me just tell you he said, you would think in a church of 12,000 people, we wouldn't have to worry about Facebook? He says, we don't let our people speak bad about the church on Facebook. And he gave me an illustration. He said, "He said we had a lady one time that was just tearing up the church on Facebook. And we called her in. Church of He said, that wouldn't have hurt our church of 12,000 people, you know, one lady out there on Facebook. But he said, we take that so seriously. We take the unity of the body of Christ so seriously that one lady... And so we brought her in and we said, you know what? This is a free country. You can say whatever you want to. You can write whatever. We- but you know what? You can't do it as a member of this church. If you're going to be a member of this church, you're going to abide by... You know, we talked in our, in our membership class last week. We're a gossip-free church. If You're going to be a part of this church. It doesn't go at this church. Why do you think their church has been able to grow like it has? It's because they don't tolerate the foxes and they don't tolerate the well-meaning people. I'm preaching the truth this morning. The well-meaning people that that are in the fear-mongering business. And so let me tell you a little bit about the foxes. You know, the foxes don't generally show up at the meeting. Foxes are in, in foxholes. What you have to worry about in churches is not the meetings, not the church meetings. It's the meetings after the meetings. I wonder why he said that at that meeting. <sighs> you know, the Bible says, "Let your yeses be yes and your noes be." If you've got something to say, say it at the meeting, right? And, and it's okay to confront and it's okay to not, not agree and all those kind of things. But it's but it's those when you go outside of the bounds and you go outside of the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. That's where that's where the body of Christ gets torn up. We have a wonderful future here at Life Church, but. If people were to start talking about other people, which to my knowledge doesn't happen at this church, so I'm doing some preventative preaching this morning, all right? It's so important as we move forward and as the the church begins to grow that that, that we're we're up front about how we feel about things, and we can say things at the meeting, and we don't allow the meetings after the meetings. And so what did Jesus say to these Pharisees to tell that, I like that, you tell that fox. This is a message to the fox this morning, all right? You know what the first thing Jesus said to the, tell the fox? He said, tell him I know what I'm doing. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on driving out demons and I'm going to keep healing people. Why did Jesus specifically mention driving out demons and healing people? Because when you look at what Jesus' vision statement was, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me uh, to, to speak good news to the poor. His ministry, his, his business, his purpose was to heal the sick and to bring life. The thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life. And so everywhere that Jesus went, he was healing the sick and he was driving out demons. He was demonstrating his power Uh, over, over darkness. Jesus was having issues with people who didn't think he knew what he was doing. Listen to me this morning. Some of the commentators I read were saying that this is probably about three months before he goes to the cross. Late in Jesus' ministry, there were lots of questions about Does this guy really know what he's doing, even among his disciples? In fact, one disciple probably right around this time was just making plans to say, I'm not in this anymore. You know, I thought Jesus knew what he was doing, but it doesn't appear that he knows what he's doing because every time he's got the opportunity to go against uh, the, the, the powers that be, he says something crazy like, turn the other cheek. You know, he just... He's not, he's not on board with the vision of our oppressed country who now needs to fight back. Leaders are called to know what they're doing. You know, I've been around Daniel Vanover long enough to know that I'm probably not going to coach him on steel work. I've just been around Daniel and I know that he knows what he's doing. I've watched some of the work that he's done and, and it's incredible work. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I've just been getting to know Steve a little bit, and it was fun to talk to Steve the other day about signage at the church. Uh, he was counseling us about signs. What you don't know about Steve is, Steve's traveled all over the country and even in other countries to do sign work. He knows signs. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna not gonna tell Steve what I think the best signage plan would be. Steve knows signs, and so I go to Steve and say, Steve, how can we make? our church notice internally and outside with signs because it's obvious when you talk to Steve, Steve knows what he's doing. Larry would be modest about it, but Larry knows books. One day I had the opportunity to to, to talk to Larry, my dad and I, about the book business, and it was amazing. He knows what he's doing when it comes to books. Imagine me trying to teach Coy about camping. Or to teach his wife Irene about teaching. She's a master teacher. She knows what she's doing. Jesus knew what he's doing. He he said, tell the fox, and he's saying that for the Pharisees too, you know, you you think I need to leave this place, but I know what I'm doing. Alright? I'll say to this church, sometimes it may not seem to this church like I know what I'm doing. And I don't mean this in any arrogant way at all, because in terms of Expertise. There's people that are better pastors than I am. There's people that are more educated. But you know what? I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean by that? I don't, know, I don't mean that because I've had all the, the training and education for that. I know what I'm called to do. I, I know why I'm here. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I, I, I've got to, he, he knew it when he was 12 years old and said, I've got to be about my father's business. I know what I've been called to do is what Jesus is saying. Do you know what you've been called to do? Do you know why you've been put on this planet? It's a wonderful thing," he said. "Tell that fox I know what I'm doing. Frankly, it could have been tough for a church like this uh, because you'd been leading for some time without a pastor, and you'd done a fantastic job. But but you brought you brought in a pastor and said, you know, you've got a vision for this place, and uh, you've let me you've let me cast my vision here. And I just want to stop and say thanks for getting behind the vision. You know, the correct term for bringing a pastor on, in case you didn't know that, is not hire. Like the Bible speaks very plainly about not being a hireling, uh, about people in ministry not being hireling. The correct term is you called a pastor. You know what that means when you call a pastor? That means you recognize the call of God on a pastor and you call uh, a pastor. It's not, you know why? Because if you hire the pastor, then you're still the ones pulling the strings, doing everything, and just that guy's just. And, and you know what the sad thing? There's a lot of churches in America just like that today. There's a lot of churches just like that today where the pastor has no freedom to cast a vision, to carry out a vision. Why? Because they're just a hireling. So Jesus said, tell, tell Herod, I know what I'm doing. You know what else he said? He said, also tell that fox I know what time it is. You, you, think, you think I need to get out of here today, but let me just tell you something, Herod. I'm going to do what I'm doing today. <laughs> I'm going to do what I'm doing tomorrow on the third day, I'm going to reach my goal. Now what's the whole deal about third day? That's not he's not literally talking about three days from now. He's giving an allusion to the fact that on the third day, what happens on the third day? Jesus rises from the dead. He's given an illusion to wh- what is he saying? He's saying, I'm not on anybody else's timetable. I'm on God's timetable. God's got a plan, and He's going to carry it out. And you know what, Herod? It's not over when you say it's over. It's over when God says it's over. It's not going to happen today, and you, know, you can surround me if you want to, but God's plan's not ready to be executed yet, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to keep on doing it until that time. I know what time it is. The Old Testament spoke of the men of Issachar who understood the time so that they might know what to do. Do you know what time it is? It's important, I think, as leaders, that we know what time it is. We know that there's a sense of timing about what God is up to. As leaders, we're called to know the time. This morning was a time change. but leaders are also to be ones who call time changes to say we're moving into a new season. A farmer knows that there's a time to plant and that there's a time to harvest. I just want to say, uh, I do know what time it is. Well-meaning people don't, you know, I'll just say this, when, you know, uh, when it came to, to relaunching our church, I had well-meaning people say, you know what, don't wait till September, do it in February. You guys are ready, go. Go, do it, do it. Other people think probably we're going too fast. Some think we're going too slow. But you know what I think? I think we're doing it in his time we're on God's timetable. Not too fast, not too slow. And people are going to
1: work, hey, we're going too fast, we're
0: going too fast. Fear. We're going too slow, hurry up, Pastor. We're going too slow, hurry up. It's his time. We're on his timetable. We're not on our own timetable. And so he says, I know what time it is. And then finally he says, I know where I'm going I know where I'm going he said this thing isn't going to end in Galilee Galilee is the place where Herod was but no this thing's going to end in Jerusalem I know where I'm going I'm heading to Jerusalem if you had looked up to verse 22 of the same chapter the Bible says then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem Jesus was saying, I got a plan here, and I'm making one last pass through all these towns, and we're going to teach, and we're going to heal the sick, and we're going to drive out demons, but we're going to do this in Galilee, but it's not going to end in Galilee. Because this this plan was being made long before I was ever born. The Bible says that He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This thing's not going to end in Galilee. It's going to end at Jerusalem. This this trip to Jerusalem, he, he referenced it in Luke chapter 9, 51. He's on the same journey. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Herod, you don't dictate the time. Herod, You don't dictate what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what time it is. I know where I'm going. This thing is heading toward Jerusalem. It's important that we know where we're going. Amen? And Jesus says, this is not not your plan here. Tell the well-meaning fearmongers. Anybody tries to evoke fear in you, look at your neighbor and say, relax, all right? We're on God's time. This is God's plan. You know one thing that I like about not being 20 anymore? I'm more patient. You know what I'm planning on doing in Knoxville as the church grows and everything? I'm planning on enjoying the journey. I really am. I don't necessarily care how fast it grows, how big it's supposed to grow to, any of those kind of things. All I know is I'm supposed to be here. I know where we're headed. I know what time it is. And uh, we're going to get there in his time. We don't have, It's all good. It's all good. So Jesus' face was set like a flint. And then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. He speaks almost like a jilted lover. God speaks over Jerusalem like, if you only knew how much I loved you. The last point that I want to share with us this morning is that God wants all of his children to be saved. It's not His will that any should perish. Uh, I read one commentator that said, you know, when it says that as a hen gathers them under her wings, that 67 times in the Old Testament, uh, the word wings is the word for Jesus' prayer shawl. How often would I have gathered you under the tent of my prayer? So, so when I think about that, I picture Jesus standing on a hillside over Jerusalem with his prayer shawl on and just holding it up and saying, Oh, Jerusalem of Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my tent, under my wings, under the shawl of my prayer. So I want to say to his life, church, that if we're going to accomplish our goal, you know, this goal, why, why, are we, why are we in this city? Hopefully it's to reach lost people for Jesus. If not, we ought to shut down and do something else. So we're in this city to reach lost people for Jesus. And if we're going to do that, church, we're going to have to learn to love lost people. My daughter Natalie had me listen to one of her chapel services back at, back at her school. And it was an older pastor who was about in the '60s who had gone to this little church of about 70 people, and their church just started loving lost people and started loving prostitutes and drug addicts. And he, I heard him tell a story. He was doing a special emphasis week, and their city has a big beer festival. And in one of their meetings, it came up. And said, "Why don't, Pastor? Why don't we have a booth up at the beer festival?" And you know what they did? They decided that their church was going to set up a booth at the beer festival and serve pure water. And they were going to have couches there for all the drunks to sit on, you know. um, And and a lot of them were dehydrated. And they were going to take their church van and offer van service to drive them home. And uh, he told a story about you're getting a van load and one of them said, What is your agenda? One of the drunks said, and they said, We have no agenda. We just we just love you. And one of the drunks got so excited they said, Hey, this is a church van. Why don't we sing Father Abraham had many sons? <laughs> so this pastor talked about a group of drunken people on a church van and Father Abraham had many sons, as the uh, as the church van took him home. Kind of a kind of a crazy story. Except that we got to get radical about loving lost people. We got to get radical about loving people that are broken. This has got to be a church where it's okay to come as you are. You know, he talked about um, how they set up ashtrays all outside of their, uh, of their church. Some of you just had a heart attack. Why not? Why not? You know, some people struggle with smoking. All of us struggle with something. You know what I'm saying? All of us struggle with something. Why don't we just be honest about it and let this be a place where one beggar tells another beggar where we found bread? Come on now. And and, and one of the things that I'm I'm loving about this church is I just don't see a lot of pretense here. I just see a lot of real people. and And I like that about this place. And I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to come to this church. Because I am like you, as broken as you are. And I just really believe that there's life here. So we have two contrasting pictures. Jerusalem and Jesus. Jerusalem who kills the prophets with religious passion. They murder everyone that that God sends to them. Can I just say that religious organizations can be murderous? Come on now. It's been said that Christians are the only Uh, people that eat their own young. Not so here, okay? Not so here. That this would be a place where we don't do that, where we don't eat our own young. But This is a place where no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened in your life, there's room for you here. And Jesus... One of the few times we see him weeping, he weeps over the city and says, "How often I would have gathered you!" Just know that Jesus weeps over everybody that's lost. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if He feels that way, what should Life Church be like? I, I heard one one pastor put it this way: We ought to be so on the side of loving lost people that people would be confused with us because we think we're supporting their sinful agendas even though we're not but we're being so loving that, that 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 they're confused because they're not expecting that they're not expecting that i remember being a hospital chaplain and going and ministering to people who were dying of aids and i saw guys shocked and surprised And and I'm old enough to that was in the early days of AIDS where people were afraid to touch people with AIDS. got to wear a mask or gloves and all that. We knew enough medically already that that wasn't necessary, but there was just a lot of fear. So we'd go in there and lay hands on them and pray for them. I had more people just ask me confused, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Because Jesus loved. there's nothing that you can do that God that would make God love you any less. Do you believe that today? Amen. Let's sing this chorus G salted
1: I love you I love you your name your, your name, name is like honey, honey on my lips
0: your spirit's like water
1: to my soul your word is a lamp to my feet Jesus I
0: thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you, Lord, that you knew where you were going. You knew what time it was, God. We thank you, Lord, God, that uh, Herod didn't set the agenda for you, that well-meaning people didn't set the agenda for you, God, but that, God, you were in control of the timetable and the destiny. And, Lord, we say today we know that you're in control of us. We know, Lord God, that um, your work for Life Church is not over, God, but in some ways it's just beginning again. We thank you, Lord God, for all of the people, Lord God, who are going to come to know you in this place, God. Even today, Lord God, we see, Lord, when this building will be filled not just once, not just twice, but multiple times, God. We believe, Lord God, that you are going to use this church, Lord God, to be a light in this city. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed and every eye closed, today, if you just say today that today I just, for the first time, want to ask Jesus into my heart this morning, would you just raise your hand across this building? Is there somebody today? Praise the Lord. There's somebody today that would just say, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand across this building and say, today I'd like to fresh start with God? Yes, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, today for these, Lord, who are making a fresh start with you. We ask, God, that uh, that because, Lord, you knew what you were doing and you knew where you were going, Lord, uh, that you would give that kind of purpose to our lives. We thank you, Lord, God, for loving us, God, when others didn't love us. Thank you, Lord, for caring about us, Lord, when others didn't care about us. You're an awesome God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. The ushers are going to come, and they're going to wait on you for the morning tithe and offering. I'm going to ask the praise team if you'd come back, and we're going to sing this.